We're going to be looking at uh, Mark 4, 21 to 34 today. So it'd be good to have your Bibles open there. Uh, and let me pray as we begin. Uh, Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that Jesus teaches his disciples um, so much about your kingdom. And we pray that as we look at this part of your word today, that we would really be able to grab hold of what it means, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, so that it would really shape us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, with lockdowns and a similar time zone to Japan, I think that many of us have been able to absorb more of the uh, Tokyo Olympics than we normally would. And I wonder what your favourite moments were. I particularly like seeing Rowan Browning, the flying mullet, in the 100 metre sprint. He ended up coming fifth in the final, but it was the heat that really grabbed me. There he was lined up against some of the fastest men on the planet, most of whom were all testosterone and uh, swagger on the uh, starting blocks. And he blew them away. Uh, The particular moment I loved was when Jamaican Johan Blake uh, saw that he was being beaten and looked over with utter bewilderment. I mean, who is this dude with the mullet who's beating me? A a face full of surprise. No one expected an unknown Aussie to win. I love that sense of the unexpected happening, of one big surprise. And, you know, familiarity with Bible story might obscure it for many of us, but so often that is the way God works in the world in an unexpected way, a surprising way. Uh, We should really look at so much of how God works, much like Johan Blake looked at Rowan Browning in that race. I mean, who would have thought God would build his people from a wandering Aramean, Abraham, and his dysfunctional family, Uh, that he would choose the deceitful Jacob over his older twin, that one tribe would become 12 as Leah and Rachel wrestled to outdo each other in making babies. Who would have thought that Moses, rescued as a baby, growing up in Pharaoh's palace, on the run after murdering a man and showing nothing but reluctance at the burning bush, would become the leader of God's people? And what about Gideon, the least in his family, the weakest clan of his tribe, who needed sign after sign to be convinced, and then had his troops whittled down to next to nothing, yet having the victory. Or David, the young shepherd boy, chosen over his older brothers to become the greatest king Israel ever saw. I could go on over and over again. God is full of surprises. And so he is as Jesus enters the scene, uh, pronouncing God's kingdom. I mean, look at the scene that is painted at the beginning of Mark 4. Such a crowd is flocking to Jesus that he needs to get in a boat just offshore to get some space. He's just really popular, making a big splash. But what does he do about it? Does he build on his growing popularity? Help his crowd understand what what they need to know? Well, Well, no. As we saw last week, he teaches them in parables. And why? Well, when his inner circle of disciples ask him why... He quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 to 10, which says, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. So you see, Isaiah is being told that his ministry was to pronounce judgment a judgment that will be enacted as people ignore his message. God will deafen their ears 
uh, so that they will not hear. And so it is with Jesus' message. Parables are not designed to help people understand, in a sense, but rather, in a sense, to hinder them. They're an act of judgment, a deliberate tool to divide people, to divide those who have ears to hear from those who don't, to divide the insiders from the outsiders and to keep the outsiders out. That's not what you'd expect, is it? And in light of this, as chapter 4 continues... Jesus adds a few more parables to basically say to those who have ears to hear that because of the surprising nature of the kingdom, they need to listen to God carefully, uh, they should rely on God completely, and they can speak for God confidently. Let's look at each of those in turn. When we see Jesus teaching in the Gospels, we always have to pay careful attention to the setting. Who's listening? Uh, who is Jesus speaking to? So in, in, as verse 21 begins, he said to them, we have to ask who they are. But back in verse 3, he's clearly addressing the crowds, but there's an important change at verse 10. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. The, the 12 and others, uh, those he declared back at the end of chapter 3 to be his brother and sister and mother, his family those who are going deeper, who have a relationship with him uh, and and so have ears to hear, to to really grapple with what he's saying and be shaped by it. To this group, Jesus explains why he uses parables and then helps them to understand the parable of the sower and the soils. It, It would seem verse 21 is a continuation of that. Here Jesus is not addressing the crowd but the inner circle and he's teaching them with two little mini parables. Uh, First, in in 21 to 23, he talks about the lamp. Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Lamps are meant to shine. It's pointless to go to the trouble of lighting a lamp if you're going to hide it under the bed or put a bucket over it. No, with ancient oil lamps, they really need to be put, you need to put them up high on a a stand so that they can spread their light as far as possible. And so it is with God's word. And it's not meant to be hidden. It's meant to be brought out into the open. The secret of God's kingdom is being revealed in Jesus' teaching. It's meant to be heard. So those listening are called to listen. Those who have ears to hear, who want to hear, who want to take hold of the secret being revealed in Jesus, well, let them hear. It's no longer a secret. It's there for the taking. It's there for the hearing. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. So so the parable acts as a sort of measure, a measure of hearing. That's what the second mini parable in verses 24 and 25 is about, as it talks about a measure. You have to use the right measure. At first, he calls them to consider carefully what they hear or literally to see what they hear. So the measure he is thinking about is not a measure of grain, with which they'd be used to, and it's kind of the illusion he's making, but it's really a measure of their spiritual hearing. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Those who have ears to hear will be given the secrets of God's kingdom, more than they could ever imagine. 
certainly more than they could ever deserve or take hold of by their own initiative. It's an act of grace. God opens deaf ears. And those who refuse to listen carefully, who are deaf to God's word, complacent or resistant or just lazy, who demonstrate no real interest in the kingdom, they'll not be able to retain any of the secrets revealed to them and they will even lose any spiritual insight that they may have. It's an act of judgment. So listen carefully. That's the message. As Dave pointed out last Sunday, this really is the big picture of the whole picture uh, of the whole chapter. Amidst the crowds flocking to Jesus, but not really understanding him, not really having ears to hear, there's a smaller group, the 12 and others, who are grabbing hold of what Jesus is about, who have got behind the healings and the miracles to see in Jesus the king promised by God. And so the word that dominates this chapter is the word listen or hear. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear. This is the key to understanding what it's all about. Jesus is calling those who have ears to hear. He's calling them to listen. You see, those who aren't really interested in following Jesus, well, they won't delve into this his message. They might go away thinking, well, that was a nice story, but that's as far as it'll go. But those who want to know Jesus will stick with him. They'll ask questions like they do in verse 10. They will seek him out. They will become insiders. They will be there when he explains everything as he does in verse 34. They will have ears to hear. So the question these two little parables ask each one of us is, do you have ears to hear? Are you ready to listen carefully? Has God's grace touched your heart so that you're committed to really hearing Jesus? to grappling with his word, to not just hear it, but as James 1.22 puts it, to do what it says. There are many places where really hearing God's word can be challenging. When the voices around us in our ears shout out in different directions. Uh, when the word cuts across the grain of the culture in which we live. When, when we might stand out as different, a bit dorky, a, a wowser perhaps when it challenges our own sinful hearts, our idols, our, our wrongful desires, our inordinate self-centeredness, or when it's just hard to understand, when it takes a bit of grappling in prayer. God is a God of the unexpected. Remember that. As the old hymn says, he works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. His kingdom is full of surprises. So are you listening carefully? And listening, are you ready to rely on God to build his kingdom? For as Jesus continues to teach his inner circle of disciples, he makes it clear that God is the one that we can rely on completely. As in verses 26 to 29, he tells a parable that says, the kingdom will grow without us. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. 
He is another man spreading seed like the, the parable that we looked at last week. But this time the focus is on the whole crop, not on particular soils. And the point is that the farmer does very little to it uh, to get it to produce a crop. Back in those days, sowing was a fairly random sort of affair, scattering the seed by hand. Uh, The productivity depended a lot on where the seed landed. There wasn't much more that you could do about it. Now, these days, uh, the way things have developed with agricultural technology, you can rig up a GPS system to your planting rig and feed into the soil analysis so that it can plant and fertilise exactly what's needed for the soil spread in a paddock. There's a whole lot more to make the best of your sowing, to work towards good results. But one thing hasn't changed. The farmer still sleeps at night. And while he's sleeping, the grain is growing. He can monitor it better than they could back then. He can get an agronomist to give him regular updates on the state of play. He can maximise the use of fertilisers and so on. But ultimately, he can't make the crop grow. I saw that when uh, drought dominated the landscape for 10 of my 25 years in Wagga. Farmers can do nothing about the rain. They are totally dependent on the heavens to open. So Jesus says this farmer goes about his normal life, night and day, sleeping and waking, and he doesn't really know what's going on in his crop. He can't see photosynthesis happening. He, he has no control over cell division. It just happens. Then when the grain ri- grain's ripe, he immediately goes out to harvest it. And the kingdom of God is like that. We can't do anything about it. We, we, we can't necessarily detect the growth. We certainly can't see it all happening. It just grows without us. And one day the harvest will be here. One day judgment will come and the kingdom will be consummated. So as we live with Jesus as our king and desire to see his kingdom grow, we'll rely on God completely. It's a surprising kingdom, remember? We we will never see or sense all that God is doing in and through us. He often does the unexpected. He works in ways that we'd never dream of. So we rely on him. Now, that doesn't mean we just drift along, let go and let God, as they used to say. No, that's not how farmers work. You know, they do whatever they can to enhance the growth of the crop. They do soil analysis. They fertilise. They may sleep at night, but they're never inactive. And so we work for our own growth in the kingdom. We study God's word. We spend time in prayer. We, We meet with God's people. And we work to see others come to know Jesus and to grow in their faith. We upskill in evangelism. We, we, we do training sessions to become better home group leaders. We, we attend seminars to spur us on and give us new insights. But in all of that, just as the farmer ultimately depends on God, so do we. Whatever effort we put in would be nothing if God wasn't at work. As Psalm 127 puts it, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. We, we really rely on God completely. For he is the one who builds his surprising kingdom. Which is why prayer is such a pivotal part of the Christian life. It's not a nice added extra that we can call on God. It's at the very heart of what we can do for his kingdom. To pray, your kingdom come. 
to ask God to be at work in and through us, to do surprising, unexpected things, whether that be to enable me to conquer my besetting sin or or to soften the heart of that resistant relative or to provide the, the money to be able to have the right ministry team here next year or to see his spirit work revival amongst us. We rely on God completely. So prayer is absolutely vital. So far, the surprising nature of God's kingdom has called on us to listen to God carefully and to rely on him completely. Lastly then, as we listen to him and rely on him, we can speak for him confidently, very much because his kingdom is surprising. That's what the final parable of of the chapter, verses 32 to 32, points out. In another agricultural growth parable, but this time the focus is on a particular seed, um, a mustard seed. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Now, the mustard seed is pretty amazing. It is so tiny, just just a speck on a human finger, minuscule. Jesus says it was the smallest seed that was planted back then. But this tiny seed has hidden potential. It grows into a significant bush. Uh, It was the biggest plant in the normal kitchen garden. In fact, it was big enough to be considered a tree, big enough to have birds perch in it, and shelter from the sun. It's that surprising note that Jesus is picking up on. The kingdom of God will surprise many people with its growth. The announcement of the arrival of God's kingdom may be easy to dismiss. The the, the whole thing may seem tiny and insignificant, but the fact is that it will have a huge impact. In fact, if you remember our Old Testament reading, as many of Jesus' hearers would have, You'll you'll see a bigger significance to those birds that perch in the shade. Ezekiel was speaking about God's kingdom when he said, On the mountain heights of Israel I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. Birds gathering in Israel's branches. It's a picture of the nations coming to God. It's that surprising growth that Jesus is pointing to. From the, his humble preaching with a bunch of fishermen and others in the dusty streets of Palestine. To us here, gathering online in Sydney, Australia, over 2,000 years later. To people from every nation and tribe and language gathering around God's throne. The kingdom will grow beyond expectation, no matter how insignificant it seems. As we saw last week from the parable of the sower and the soils, despite all those failures of the rocky ground and and the, the, the thorns, it will have an abundant crop, 30, 60, 100-fold. And as we saw just before, 
it will come to harvest without any input from us. And as this parable shows, the result will be absolutely surprising. That's the amazing power of the message that Jesus preaches. That's the kind of kingdom that this king brings in. Now, sometimes what we do as Christians can seem pretty insignificant. The, The world doesn't care two hoots about God and his word. Many dismiss what the Bible says on any subject as irrelevant. Some aggressively reject it. The voice of the church is increasingly marginalised. We don't seem to have much clout. But the truth is that God's word will have a bumper harvest, that God's kingdom will grow despite our weakness, uh, that it will be bigger than we could ever visualise, drawing people from every nation, tribe and language. We are part of something big and we should never be overwhelmed by our seeming insignificance. So we can speak for God, preach his gospel confidently because he's behind it. His promises will be fulfilled. He will change the hearts of those he has chosen. He can use even our weakest, most unskillful efforts to turn people to himself. So I wonder what stops you speaking for God. Are you worried you'll be dismissed as a fool? Concerned that it will break relationship? Is it about not having all the answers? You know, you might be put on the spot. You know, I may be able to get up in front of you all and share insights from the word, but let me tell you, I struggle to share the gospel with my wider family. I'm not good at bringing Jesus into ordinary conversation. I fail to show the confidence that I know that we can and should have, so I need to listen carefully to this part of God's word myself. Because you see... We can all be assured that God can grow a tree from the tiniest seed. No matter how weak and faulty our efforts, God can bring the birds in. The nations will be gathered into his kingdom. So it's not about being impressive. You don't have to, have, don't have to be the charismatic personality. You, you don't need to be able to answer every question. It's God who grows his kingdom, remember, his surprising kingdom. So listen to him carefully, rely on him completely and speak for him confidently. Another moment from the Olympics that delighted me was seeing Aussie Nicola McDermott claiming silver in the high jump. She has an incredible style starting each jump with this huge smile on her face and finishing it by sitting down and writing in her notebook or, or sometimes on her body. Uh, what was most encouraging, though, is the sort of things that she would write. And during the final, she had written on her wrist, Jesus makes all things new. That's right, Nicola is a follower of the Lord Jesus. In an interview, she enthusiastically spoke for God. Knowing I'm with God, she said, he has been with me every single training session and I am carrying a message bigger than myself. He is going to make this new Every single time I saw an empty stadium, it just reminded myself that one day those stadiums will be filled. My dream has been since 2017 that it wouldn't just be for sporting performances, that maybe they could have revival meetings again like Billy Graham did decades ago in Australia and people would hear things from athletes that would change their lives, not just be spectators. That's been my drive. Those empty seats almost inspired even more than when there is a full stadium. 
There's a dream for you. A vision of God's surprising kingdom. Stadiums filled with the praise of God's grace in Christ. It seems to me that Nicola has grabbed hold of something about God's surprising kingdom. She must have listened carefully. She seems to rely on God completely. And so she speaks for God confidently. What about you? Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, our Heavenly Father, your kingdom is indeed surprising. That you would begin with, with Jesus and this, this small gathering of people who were really listening to him and, and, and the world would be taken over by faith in Christ. That, that you would actually win our salvation by the King of Kings dying in our place and rising victorious over, uh, over our sin, over death itself. Oh Lord, you work in amazing ways and we confess how easily we forget that. We, we, we confess how easily we don't recognise, we don't really listen to you carefully enough, we, we, we don't really rely on you completely, we don't really speak for you with the confidence that we should have. We ask you to grab hold of us and change us so that we would have that confidence, so that we would have that reliance so that we would have that listening ear, that we would have ears to hear and so that we can really hear. Lord, change us and do big things in us because we know that you have a surprising way of working. And we ask you, Lord, to do that surprising work in us for Jesus' glory. Amen.